Father's Day and appreciate the great music. Thank you men for singing with us uh, this morning as we uh, celebrate that day that is coming. On that day, we will see you shining brighter as the sun. I love that song. It's one of my favorites. Listen to it almost every day. And I'm thankful for great music that points our attention upward instead of inward, instead of outward. It points our attention upward, where our focus should be, by the way. Uh, It's so easy to get sucked into music of the day and be focused on what's going on around us and relationships that we have. And uh, All my exes live in Texas and all that different stuff. And uh, so easy to get drawn into that, uh, but our focus should be on what's above. And our focus should be on our good, good Father because He is perfect in all of his ways. Perfect. And we're going to talk about this morning, uh, maybe an unusual text for Father's Day service, but uh, we want to recognize the men in our lives who have impacted us the most. And maybe you grew up in a home where your father was always around and he was a vital part of your life and he was a godly example and uh, took you to church and uh, was that good father in your life. Maybe you're here and you didn't have that story. You don't have that background. Uh, Maybe you are uh, a result of someone else. Maybe your father left in an early age. Uh, Maybe somebody else stepped in and there's a stepfather or an uncle or a grandparent who kind of filled that void. Uh, Maybe you don't even know who your dad is. See, we have all these different walks of life. Uh, Maybe you're here and you say, hey, I'm, I'm a father right now. And maybe you're here and you say, hey, I'm not a father yet and don't know if it'll ever happen. See, God is still a good father regardless of our physical circumstance and the physical representative that we have as an earthly father. Our heavenly father is still faithful and loving and consistent in our day-to-day lives. And so we want to see this morning a familiar story in the context and the light of Father's Day today in Luke chapter 15. Maybe you're wondering what, what does a godly father look like? What is an example that we can look in the Scripture and see a picture of a godly father? Because I believe that every dad can be a dad like the prodigal's dad. I believe that every father could be a father like the prodigal's father. And we're going to look this morning at Luke chapter 15 and verse number 11 and see a story about a family that had problems. Anybody uh, willing to be honest and identify? Uh, But a family that had problems. And we don't see a mom here, so maybe this is a single dad trying to raise two sons on his own. And we see some problems and difficulties. So Luke chapter 15 and verse number 11, the Bible says, And he said, Jesus giving parables here, says, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that follow to me. And he, is, he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Wasted his substance. Everything. Give me. Give me, Dad. I, I want what belongs to me, what's entitled, what I'm entitled to. And then he leaves and wastes what his father had given to him. Uh, This morning, let's focus in on this family and tie it to what we're celebrating today in Father's Day. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the truths that you share with us at pivotal moments of our lives in an effort to show us that you are a good, good father. Lord, thank you for the songs and how they directed our attention above But Lord, I ask you now that you please help us to direct our attention to our heart in light of who you are as a good father. And help us to ask the question, am I living up to that example? Help me to be able to look and see in my life if I am that kind of father that we see here in Luke 15. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal savior, please allow today to be their day of salvation. Lord, if there's one who's walked away, Lord, please draw them back home today. Lord, if there's someone today who is trying to be that good example of a father, maybe they don't have a good example in their own home life. Maybe for that guy, that young man who would love to be a father and just it has not happened. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts this morning from your word and teach us something. 
Uh, Lord, I ask that you please uh, forgive me of sin, anything unconfessed in my personal life. Please help me to be clean as I preach about the ultimate Father this morning. And that Father is you today. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us. Please give us a great day of worship together in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down number one on your handout, the apathy that's mentioned. The apathy. Jesus is sharing a parable about three situations where something was lost. In Luke chapter number 15, he begins telling a story about uh, this shepherd who has lost his sheep. And then we see this woman who has lost a coin that's very valuable to her. And then we see the story of the prodigal sons. In each one of these parables, it's a display of a different part of the Godhead. In the first uh, parable, we see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd who goes out and he draws, looks for that one who has lost its way, and he still does that today. In the second parable, the woman with the lost coin, we see an example of the Holy Spirit because we see that that woman lights a candle and that candle shines into the hearts of man. We see that in the Old Testament, the great picture that he lights and shines in those dark crevices that we need to correct in our own lives. And it's hard to miss the fact that the last parable in Luke 15 is all about the Heavenly Father. That father who loves his sons in spite of how they treat him. That father who is faithful regardless of how they are to him. And we see the apathy mentioned. We see, number one, the son demanded. The son demanded. Look back at our text. In verse number 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me, give me. In this story, we see this random man who has two sons. Uh, We like to look at the one instead of focusing on both of them, but this man truly had two prodigal sons. One just had the boldness to leave home. The other one stayed home and was still just as rebellious. We see that at the end of the story in Luke 15. One of them was dogmatic about his desire. The other one was full of self-righteousness. And as Jesus is sharing this parable, he's talking to both sons in the crowd. Not literally, but figuratively. See, there were people in the crowd who were castaways. They had walked away. They had denied the faith. And they wanted, desperately wanted, a loving Heavenly Father to accept them back into the fold. There were also some in the crowd that day who were full of their own selves and who were self-righteous. And who looked at themselves and said, hey, I'm good. As long as I got Jesus, I'm good. And those two sons are represented anytime any church meets as well. There are people who are in desperate need of redemption. And there are some people who don't see the need for redemption. Because they've got it all figured out. It gives a great picture of two kinds of sinners as well. There are those who are flamboyant about their sin who don't care who knows what they do and uh, what they're involved in. And then there are some who are more callous with a certain amount of religiosity. They've been affected and they feel like they're not that bad that they need a Savior. And so we see that the son comes to the father one day and demands his portion. It was an unusual request. Not uncommon for a father of this time period to give his sons their portion before he dies. But it was uncommon For a son to demand his portion in advance. He says, Father, give me. Give me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I wish, Dad, that you were already dead so that I could get what belongs to me. Their custom was that the oldest son would get a double portion. So if if there's two sons, there would be three parts. The youngest son would get a third and the oldest son would get two-thirds. It would fall to the oldest son that he would have to provide for the family going forward. He would be the one responsible to take care of the family as the, fair, the parents got older. So he would need more to be able to provide going forward. So we see this son, while we look and we blast the prodigal son, how dare him act this way? How dare him treat his father that way? we got to be really careful because we're a picture of the prodigal quite often. Uh, When we're filled with pride and we make demands of God that are unreasonable. You know, every every sin finds its roots in pride. Every sin. 
Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Every one of us treats God as he does not deserve to be treated. Every single one of us. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon said, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. Race, face, place, or grace. Uh, grace. Tim Keller said, spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. Have you ever felt like, man, I got, man, I, maybe not you wouldn't vocalize it, but you feel like, hey, I got this thing under control. Uh, this life, my life is going really good. And, uh, you know, I haven't prayed in a while, but, you know, everything's still going good. And, you know, I haven't read my Bible in weeks, but, man, everything is flowing right along. You have deceived yourself. You have deceived yourself into thinking that you can do it on your own. The Christian life was never meant to be lived solo. We need not only him, but we need each other. And we see what demands, we think about this demand that this son makes, but what demands are we making to the Lord that we're not entitled to have fulfilled? This father could have looked at his son and said, you know what, I'm not going to give you anything, get out of my house. This father could have said, you're going to have to wait until I die to get what that portion that you want. But that's not what happened. See, the son demanded, but number two, we see the father divided. The son demanded, but the father divided. In an act of what can only be called as grace, sheer grace, the father splits his inheritance between the sons. Look back at verse number 13, uh, excuse me, verse number 12. And he divided unto them his living. Remember at the end of the chapter, when the older son comes back and he starts complaining about the treatment for the younger son after he'd come back and wasted everything, remember the father looks at him and says, all that I have is yours. That was a true statement because he had already divided everything to the sons. The younger son wasted his, but the older son still had everything and everything that the father owned belonged to the son. We'll get there in a minute. It tells us that the fact that both of them got what was coming to them. Both of them had been giving, given what he had saved for them, what he had provided for them. And I think sometimes that we forget that God gives all of our gifts, some of the things that he gives us, he gives them to us in advance. You know, we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to have peace. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to experience love and to experience joy and to experience patience and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, all of those things. He allows us to have those things in advance, but where are they found? They're all found in heaven. He could have said, you know what, you're not going to get any of that until you get to heaven and be a miserable version of Christianity. But he allows us to have some of those things in advance. He allows us to get to know some of the people we're going to get to spend eternity with. That's either oh yay or an oh me, one or the other. But we look at our life and we see that that's not the only thing he allows us to have access to. Something else that we're going to spend eternity with, or should I say someone else. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 Remember, he made us a promise and said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you realize as a believer, when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation, you will never, ever be separated from Jesus in life or death. You never have to be without Jesus ever again. He's always there. But how long is the Lord? He's telling us he's going to be with us forever. In this life and the next. He divides not just to the selfish son. He divides the rest of his inheritance to the older son. Everything. But when we think about how this goes down, the father gave everything to his children and then expected them to manage it well. And God looks at us the exact same way. Are we managing what he's given to us 
well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Ephesians chapter 6, here it is, dads. Verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If God has given you something, he expects you to manage it well. If God has entrusted us with something, that could be a relationship with our spouse. That could be a relationship with our kids. That could be a a job. That could be a future. That could be a goal. Whatever it is. But are you a good steward? And that's not just for the men, ladies. Are you a good steward of what God has entrusted to you? We see in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. We know that he gives us those things. But as a father, what are you dividing to your children for their future? This father loved, appreciated them. It wasn't responded well. I mean, the younger son did not respond favorably. We, saw, we see him respond with apathy. He didn't care. But then, number two, we see the agony that is mentioned. The agony. Imagine the heartbreak of the father as he watches his son collect all of these things, all of his stuff, all of the father's stuff, all of his stuff, and leave home. We see the waste that is mentioned in verse number 13. The waste says, and not many days after. It didn't take him long. It didn't take him long to get out of Dodge. He literally got all of his stuff from his father. He gathered all of his belongings and within a few days time was gone. Was gone. But what does it say? He gathered all together, took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. It doesn't tell us what he got involved in, but you can fill in the blanks. We can imagine It was most likely things that he would not be allowed to do while he was at home. Spend time with people that his father would not have allowed him to be with. Had relationships that were forbidden. He goes into a far country. He's spending time with people who were forbidden. Doing things that were off limits. But now, for the very first time in his life, no one could tell him what to do. No one could put limits on him. He had dreamt of this day for years until the day finally came. Can I remind you all and us all of James chapter 1 and verse number 14 and 15? The Bible tells us, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And it says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, what does it bring? Death. Lust, it starts in the mind. Hey, I, I could have that. Hey, you know, that, that relationship that, that the Bible talks about, I could have that. You know, we talked a few weeks ago, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. The fact that it might be there, it might be a temptation, but that doesn't mean that it gives you the right to step into that temptation. Lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. If I can touch it, if I can get my hands on it, I'll partake in it. And ultimately, that sin is connected to death. It might be the death of a relationship. It might be the death of uh, a, a, a job. It might be the death of uh, a promotion. It might be the death of some kind of potential. But there is death. You think about Adam and Eve. They were told, the minute that you sin in the Garden of Eden, that day you'll surely die. And you look at their life. As soon as they ate, they didn't die. But there was death. They died spiritually. There was a disconnect from God. And maybe that's the kind of death that would happen for your sin. Maybe it's the death, that pulling away of a relationship. And this son didn't have to wait long until he was heading down the road, heading to the far country. We don't know how far, but we know based on what is told to us, it was far enough. Far enough that he wouldn't have to listen to his dad. Far enough that he could make his own choices. But far enough that he would have to live with his own consequences. I thought about this. You can choose your country and your choices. But you cannot choose your consequences. You can choose your country and your choices, but you cannot choose your consequences. See, all of us would say at some point in our life, man, uh, Pastor, that period of my life, I sowed my wild oats. That was the time period where I did what I wanted to do. But most of the time, we sow our wild oats and we pray for crop failure. We don't want to live with our consequences. 
Hey, I want to do whatever I want to do without consequences. And can I say, that's not real life. There is a consequence for every decision that we make, positive or negative. It happens. And we cannot choose our consequences. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then verse number 8 says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. See, if you sow to your flesh, you're going to get flesh in return. If you go out and you plant apple seeds in the ground, you don't get an orange tree. You get an apple tree. What you sow, what you plant is what's going to come up. And if you sow a sinful lifestyle, don't be surprised when you get sinful behavior that comes out of that lifestyle. If you sow positive spiritual things, don't be surprised when spiritual results take place. So we see it's easy to look at the prodigal son and blame him, but how often are we the ones who we waste opportunities? Hey, dads, when's the last time that you set the cell phone down and spent an evening with your kids? When's the last time that you said, you know what, social media can wait? When's the last time that you said, you know, that golf day with my buddies can wait so I can spend time with my children, with my wife, with my family? When's the last time that you said, I'm going to put what I want aside for the purpose of bolstering what is necessary, what God has entrusted me to steward? I'm not saying that spending time on social media or golf day or whatever, video games, uh, is a bad thing. But when they're put in perspective, it can become a bad thing. When we allow that to take the place of a gift from above that God is expecting us to steward, it becomes a bad thing. Any good, it's, it's all about what is good, better, or best. See, just because it's good doesn't make it best. Just because that golf game and those relationships with my golf buddies would be good, that doesn't mean that it's best. I've got to make a decision. I cannot waste opportunities because we all know those kids are going to grow up. Our wife might not always be there. Our friends might not always be around. Our relationship, some of you are in the room, your mom and dad's already gone. The time to spend with them is gone. It's over. Whatever you invested, that's the memories that you have left. So this morning, are you wasting the opportunities that you have? You know, I hope at some point that you get the opportunity today to call your dad and wish him happy Father's Day. So, Pastor, I don't have a good relationship with my dad. Call him anyway. It'll knock his socks off. Well, what if he doesn't answer the phone? There's this great thing called voicemail or text message. But you be the positive. You be the reinforcement of, hey, this is my earthly father. He might be a great example of what a, 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 a right father should be. But, hey, you don't have to react the way that he would. You be the right example. See, we don't have to go to the far country to waste what our Heavenly Father gives to us. You can do it right from your church seat and waste what your Father's given to you. See, you can make choices in your own life and waste resources, waste time. See, the Bible gives us a great principle of honoring our parents. As children, we obey our parents. Ephesians chapter 6, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. But there comes a time when that obedience now switches to honor. As I get out on my own, I start making my own life choices. There is still an element of honoring that still needs to take place. And we know the difference between obeying and honoring, right? See, I can obey with a bad attitude, but I can't honor with a bad attitude. You know, mom says, take the trash out. Oh, I have to do that. I have sisters. They can, they can take their own trash out. You know? But honoring is with a good attitude, with a smile on my face. Recognizing that I'm required, biblically, to honor. You know, there's another word later on in verse, First Timothy that talks about requite. We're to requite our parents. The day may come when you have to be a parent to your parents. Now, that's not something that we like to think about. But that day may come where you have to be a parent to your mom or dad. 
where you have to check on them and make sure that they take their medicine and they feed themselves and they do all of these things. That day may come. And that is a biblical principle, by the way. We are to honor to the death. If that day comes and the Lord tarries is coming, we are to honor and requite, repay our parents if that is the situation that's required. So we see this young man wasted, but then number two, what happens? When he wasted, he found himself in the want. The want. It says, verse 14, And when he had spent all, everything he had, everything the Father gave him, every investment that the Father made into his life, he spent all of it. And when that happened, conveniently, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Now, this is the beginning of the process. Hey, he recognizes, man, my pockets are empty. Hey, I don't have anything. I I don't have anything left. I've spent it all. But how desperate does he get? Look at verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him in his fields to feed swine. The money all ran out. The friends ran off. The fun was over. And where did he find himself? Alone. Alone. Isn't that like the world? Hey, when they have no longer a use for you, you were expendable. No, no purpose. Hey, if I can't get something from you, why do I need you? That's the philosophy. And so it's interesting that he didn't just go to the pig pen immediately. There was a process. He found himself in want where he had a need, and he recognized that he had no one left to meet that need. Now, we all know he still had someone who would meet the need, but he wasn't at rock bottom yet. Sometimes, hey mom and dad, sometimes your kids need to hit rock bottom. Don't bail them out. I used to go to church with a fellow who would, his son would get arrested and he would go and make up stories and lies to get his son out of prison. And that son's life is a train wreck because mom and dad were always bailing him out. Sometimes your kids need to hit rock bottom. And you need to step back like the prodigal's dad and say, I'll be here when you come home. And not follow him out in the far country. Love you, trying to help you. But sometimes they need to learn consequences for their choices. And sometimes you need to take your hands off and let them fall. We look at our life today. Look at this young man's life. Not only did he work for an outsider, someone he wasn't supposed to be around. He's also doing something that was forbidden. What's he doing? He is feeding pigs. Jews were not allowed to be around pigs. They weren't allowed to be around them. Weren't allowed to work with them. Weren't allowed to touch them. They weren't supposed to be near these pigs. But here he is, all of a sudden, he is in a place that he shouldn't be, doing something he had no business doing. And in verse 16, it said, And would fain have filled his belly. You know what that means? He looked at what the pigs were eating and said, Man, I'd love to have that. Now, I've been hungry in my life, but I've never been that hungry. But that's where this young man is. Hey, It didn't seem that big of a deal when he said, give me, but now it's a real big deal. The process has put him in a downward spiral, and he is at rock bottom. Didn't start there, but that's where he ended up. And sin might look pleasurable now, but it has a price tag. And we get to that place. See, sin is fun. Yes, sin is fun. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, the Bible says the pleasures of sin for a season. It is fun for a time period. It is fun, but the fun never lasts. We see in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we get for our sin is separation from God. He finds himself alone and the only thing on his mind you remember that time that we were over there and we were having such a good time? Remember, remember we went over here and we did all... None of those memories were on his mind. You know what he was thinking about? Home. Home. What was on his mind was home. You might be here today and you're far away from the Lord, but I would venture to guess there are moments in your life where you think about home. Maybe not where you grew up, but maybe the way you grew up. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. That does not mean that you won't wander off. 
But it does mean that you can't get away from what was invested in your life. You might walk away from the Lord. You might wander. But it will never leave you. That's what the Bible says. It always stays with us. Stays with us. The investment of others. We see his waste. We see his want. And then thirdly, we see the wonder. He started imagining what it would be like, what it would look like if he did go home. I love how the Bible puts this in verse number 17. And when he came to himself. Maybe you're here this morning and you need one of those moments. You remember the V8 commercials? Where they're having this thought and then all of a sudden they, you know, somebody, something hits them on the head and should have had a V8. Uh, you know, that's what this is talking about. When he came to himself, there was a moment of realization, an aha moment. It says, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He starts playing the what if game. Man, those servants back home, he, he didn't mention his brother, by the way. Servants. Hey, if I would go back and maybe volunteer to be a servant, at least I wouldn't starve. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere and in the far country. And there was a moment when he finally realized that he had made a mistake. And can I say this? The first step in making things right is realizing that you are wrong. The first step in making things right is realizing that you are wrong. That might be you need salvation. That might mean that you need to come back home to the Lord. You've wandered away from Him. That might mean a relationship that needs to be restored. But the first step is realizing that you're wrong. Hey, can I, can I go ahead and just let us know something that I think we all know? You're not going to be right all the time. Well, I'm always right. No, you're not. We're not going to be right 100% of the time. There will be a time when we are wrong. And the first step in getting on the right track is recognizing that we are wrong. See, we live in a culture that tries to teach us that there are no absolutes. And there is no way to know whether or not you're right or wrong. So you just do what you want to do. You make your choices. You don't have to apologize to anybody for how you live. And I'm here to tell you today that the end of your life and mine, we will all stand before holy God and we will give an account for how we lived our life. Say, so, well, pastor, I don't believe that. That's fine. You don't have to believe it. It's still going to happen. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It will still take place. And you will not get around that appointment. You will keep that appointment. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You know what's the great thing about being a pastor? Is I don't have to give account for your life. You know, the hum humbling thing I have to do as a pastor is I have to give an account for how I led this body. That's humbling. Did I faithfully expound the Word of God week in and week out? Did I say the things that God wanted me to say and not the things that I wanted to say? Oh, me. <laughs> not 100% right there. But we will all give an account to the Lord. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 27, as it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us. But are you doing anything to be ready for that day? The Bible tells us, or excuse me, George Mueller said, he's not the Bible, by the way. Uh, George Mueller said, when the day of recompense comes, our only, regret that we'll, that our only regret will be that we have done so little for him, not that we have done too much for him. Too little for him. The man realized that while he was starving, he's suffering his servants, back servants, those servants at dad's house, they're not starving. They're faithful to serve. He saw his problem and he saw the solution. And if you're struggling today in any area of your life, I can promise you based on the authority of the word of God that the solution is Jesus. Whether it's salvation, whether it's to come back home, we have a heavenly father that is standing looking from the front porch 
with arms wide open waiting for us to come back home. Ready, longing for the relationship to be restored. Why? How do we know that? Because he's a good, good father. That's who he is. Hey, that's who you are. He is a good, good father. See, this young man didn't think about the rules at home. Man, if I go back home, I'm going to have to do what dad says. Didn't bring it up. He didn't think about what it was that drove him away. Didn't mention it. Wasn't worth it. He had one thing on his mind, and that was the relationship with his father. Hey, I'm going to go back home, and I am going to restore this relationship. Now, here's the thing. He was going back to restore the relationship with his father, not get back into his role as the son. Isn't it ironic sometimes in our lives, we want all of the consequences to go away by just saying, I'm sorry. Sometimes we have to live with our consequences the rest of our life. Well, pastor, I said I'm sorry to that person. They still don't want to talk to me. You might have to live with those consequences. Well, pastor, you know, I, when I was 18 years old and 19, or I was in college. I did things, but that was before Christ. And now I've got all these health problems that I have to live with. You might have to live with them the rest of your life. See, there are consequences. You can choose your country. You can choose your choices. You can't choose the consequences. And this young man was ready to go home. We see the apathy, the agony, and then lastly, we see the acceptance. What would he experience when he got home? This was not a difficult decision. He knew exactly what he had to do. But he couldn't dance back in the house the way that he left. There had to be a change. And see, you and I can't just glide through our life and expect to hear positive remarks from Jesus. We see how he returned in verse number 20 and 21. It says, and he arose and came to his father. Now, this is one of the most awesome pictures of grace in the entire Bible. Now remember, in verse 18 and 19, he had his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy servants. All these different things. He said, give me when he left. And now he's saying, Father, will you please make me? Please make me. He had been broken. Broken. Isn't it ironic how sin has a way of doing that to all of us? Sin breaks us. See, no one comes home with a prideful heart. He came home humble, broken, and it involves humility coming home. It involves recognizing who you are in light of who he is. But look at how he's received. Verse 20 and 21, but while he was yet a great way off. You know what this tells me? Is every day, every day, the father went out outside looking for his son. This is not accidental. He just happens to look up out in the garden. Oh, this is intentional. And our heavenly father looks every day intentionally, surveying the horizon, waiting for people to come home, waiting for people. Maybe that's you today. Whether you're in the room or watching online, maybe that's you. Maybe that's your story. And he is waiting. Pastor, he, he won't love me. He, won't, he doesn't want me. All men don't accept that lie. He loves you enough to make a way for you to come home. It says, Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. This young man made a wise decision to come back home. The father, when he's a great way off, the father had compassion, fell on his neck, kissed him, loved on him. Jonathan Edwards said, nothing sets a Christian so much out of the devil's reach than humility. Are you humble today? This young man comes back home with humility. How the father responded was an act of grace, but we see, number two, how he reacted See, for him just to come in and pat his son on the back and say, it's good to have you, boy, go out there to the servants' quarters because you're going to be a slave the rest of your life. That's not what happened. It says in verse 22, the father said to his servants. Now remember, the son started the speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. He started, no more word to be called thy son. I don't deserve to be your, your son. Well, what if the father stops him. 
stops him. Why? How did the father know to stop him? Because he knew his son. He knew for his son to come back would involve brokenness. And for you and I, God knows our heart. And for you to come back and acknowledge his authority in our lives, he knows it involves brokenness. Pastor, I don't even know what to say if I came back to the Lord. You don't have to say anything. He knows. He knows. Pastor, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what to say to him. You don't have to say much. Just tell him what's on your heart because he knows. He knows. This past week at camp was incredible. One of the greatest things about camp was we turned in our keys yesterday morning, getting ready to leave. And it's pretty awesome when you turn in keys and they hand you decision cards from your kids at camp. Our kids making decisions at camp. Not a counselor writing down, but them writing in their own words what they're committing to do. Almost like God was working. Almost like the prayers that were being prayed this past, this past week were answered. Almost like that investment that you made and said, hey, I'm going to sponsor a kid. I don't know if it'll do anything. Maybe it'll just give their parents a break for a week. And uh, it worked. This young man had to be broken. And sometimes we just need to be put in situations where we have to be broken. A.W. Tozer said, God cannot use... I'm sorry. God cannot use a man greatly before he hurts that man deeply. The son had been broken. The father knew it. And now the father would honor his humility. Isn't it awesome when... We're humble. He exalts us. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. He didn't just have compassion. They celebrated. It says, the father said to his servant, bring forth the best robe. He could have picked anybody's robe. Hey, get your older brother's robe. It'll fit. Get one of the servant's robe. He said, the best robe. I kind of like believe that that was the father's robe. The father robed his son with the best. It says, hey, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand. That ring signified the authority of the house. And when you came to Jesus, he gives you his authority. Shoes on his feet, preparing his pathway for the future. Verse 23, and bring hither the fatted calf. He got, got this calf and set it aside for the day where his son would come home. It says, Kill it, let us eat, and be merry. It was his ring, shoes on his feet, all an indicator that he had been forgiven, restored. Every bit of it. Here's a perfect picture, by the way, of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. Somebody comes back home we hadn't seen in a while, and we know their story, we know their past, we know where they've been, what they've been doing. Our, the horrible response is, they don't belong here. We don't want them to be here. Pastor, do you know what they did? Do you know where they've been? Do you know who they've been with? Does God know? Does God care? Does God want them to be thrown out there and say, you don't belong here? Absolutely not. So why should we feel that way? If we're his people and we bear his name and we have his ring of authority, shouldn't we want those people to be in this room? Shouldn't we want them to be restored? I'm not talking about wiping away consequences. That's a whole other conversation. But I am talking about restoring fellowship with those who have fallen. They need to know that they're not alone. And they need to know that they're not the exception. That all of us struggle. We see lastly this morning how he restores in verse 24. What's the father say? You ever heard the phrase, dead man walking? There is a story behind that. When a child was rebellious in Jewish culture, 
that family could have a funeral service for that child. It was as if that son, daughter never existed beyond that point. No family rights, no connection, no opportunity for the future. They were dead to them. And if they ever came back, their neighbors, friends in the community would know the story. Some of them would have attended the funeral service and would say, hey, that's a dead man. We don't want anything to do with that. We can't fellowship with that. We can't associate with that. That is a dead man walking. Now, look at verse 24. For this my son was what? Dead. And is alive again. Can I remind you who is saying this? This is the father. And he is saying the only person who had the authority to raise up a child who had been dead was the father. It almost sounds like that's happened somewhere before. Some, some historical event. Uh, it's not earth shattering. We just shake our, we just hold our faith on it. But his father brought his son back to life. Why? Because he's a good, good father. He's a good father. See, we might look at this story here at Shared and say, man, uh, man, what a great story of the prodigal son. Oh, no. This story's not about the son. This story's about the love of a father. Remember in verse number 11 what it says? A certain man had two sons. This story is all about the father. This story is all about what lengths a father is willing to go to to supply redemption to someone who does not deserve it. And this morning, that's who our Heavenly Father is. He's a father who loves and is willing to offer redemption to mankind that does not deserve it, have not done anything to deserve it. Remember, John chapter 13, verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. We live in a world full of stress, struggle, and strife, but we are called to be men who love one another. We're to have that Father's love. Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, nurture your children. God restores and redeems. Why? Because He loves He loves us. So the question is, will you, dads, here it comes back to you, will you be a man who loves? Will you be a father? Will you be a prodigal dad? And I hope that you never have a prodigal son, a daughter in your life, but will you be a representative of the prodigal dad? Will you be that example? Hey, if your kid came home today after wandering in the world, how would you receive him? You go clean up your life first, and then I'll receive you. Is that what the prodigal's dad did? That prodigal dad, the Bible says he ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. That sweaty, nasty neck. Been in the hog pen. You think he went and showered before he went home? He was disgusting, and yet the father said, bring the best rope. And he didn't bathe that boy before throwing that robe. He laid that robe of righteousness over filthy rags. Because he's a good, good father. That's who he is. And at the end of our life, we're going to stand before that good, good father. We're going to offer an account. In that day, what will you say? Men, are you being a physical representative of a prodigal dad? Hey, children, are you honoring that dad? Hey, adults, are we acting like our Heavenly Father? Because we are the hands and feet of Him. Are we acting the way that He would? Maybe I challenge you today and where you would say, with God's help, I'll be that. I'll be that representative. With God's help. I'm not saying you have to do it on your own. I'm saying that, hey, you would simply say, if God will through me, 
I will. If God will allow me, yes, I will. Would you make that kind of commitment to be a representative of a good, good father? Heads are bound. Eyes are closed. We're going to sing good, good father in just a minute. Mix it up a little bit for the invitation because it's the right thing to do. Let me ask you this morning, maybe you don't have a relationship with that good, good father. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. I'd like to pray for you this morning, be your friend and pray for you. Maybe you would simply say, hey, pastor, I, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity, but I would ask you to pray for me. And I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call your name out and come talk to you, but I would like to pray for you. Maybe you don't know this father we've been talking so much about this morning. You don't have a relationship with him. You don't know what that looks like. But hey, can I challenge you today to talk to him? A relationship with Jesus is not a list of rules. It's simply acknowledging that you have a need. It's like that prodigal in the pig pen. Recognizing that you have a need and the only answer you have is the father. See, the father sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin and mine. And he paid our sin debt that we deserve to pay because of our sin. And if we'll simply believe on what he offers and ask him to apply it to our life, call on him, the Bible says that we'll be saved. Maybe that's your need today. Maybe you simply need to talk to him about your spiritual need. By offering up a humble prayer, I'm not even going to lead you in what to say. You know what your heart needs. Talk to him. We have personal workers who are down front, who are behind you, would love to take the Bible and show you what it means to enter in that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a good relationship with your Heavenly Father. Maybe you need to come back home today. Maybe you need to acknowledge that you've wandered away. Maybe you need a restored relationship. Maybe you're here as a parent and you're praying for a prodigal. You're praying for that story to be your story. Hey, keep praying. Don't stop. Maybe you need to come and pray again and ask the Lord again, signifying your hope and expectation on Him, trusting Him, whatever you need. Would you talk to Him about it? He is a good, good Father. That's who He is. And He is looking down the road, longing for you to come home longing to have a relationship with you. But do you want that relationship with him? Do you desire to be the hands and feet of our good, good father? If you need to take a step this morning, we want to help you do that. I'll be right down front. Our personal workers would love to talk to you. Whatever you need to do, let's be serious this morning and talk to the Lord about what he's been talking to us about. Father, please bless our time this morning. Please use it for your glory. Lord, if there's someone here today that's not saved, they don't know you as their personal Savior, please allow today to be their day of salvation. And Lord, I ask that you please help us as your children to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us to be a representative of a good, good Father. We love you and thank you so much for loving us. Please bless our time of invitation and reflection. Help us to be serious about responding to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. Let's sing that song together. Good, good Father.